Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Lady 80 Show. This podcast is about books. Anything about books from reading them, writing them, to publishing them, from the technical detail of how to get your dream book onto the shelves of your local bookshop, to talking about the first book you ever read and the pleasure of reading with children. Are you a lover of books? Then listen on. Let's talk about Read for Good. I'd like to welcome Debbie Young here. She is an ambassador for Read for Good. And as we've been talking a lot about how to help parents read more with their children, which is very much on our hearts, and that's Abby Rose and myself doing the children's book using the little unicorn, and then realizing that actually we want to help parents read more with their children. I met Debbie Young through our association through the Ally, which is the Alliance of Independent Authors, and there's another podcast on this. But in the meantime, I thought it would be really interesting to know about her work as an ambassador for Read for Good and how this affects children's reading and how it affects parents. Debbie, how did you get involved as an ambassador in the first place for Read for Good? Originally, I actually worked for them officially their first employee, which sounds bizarre because they now have a nationwide influence and much larger staff in the office in Nailsworth. Well, I say very lovely. It's it's a, a modest but large office to accommodate all of the staff it needs to, to fit in there now. I went to work for them in 2010. It was a charity that had been long established by a husband and wife couple. It was established by Bruff Girling, who was a children's author and a teacher. And he had become irritated by the emphasis at schools on reading set books, on reading schools' reading schemes at primary level, observing that those books were actually sapping the joy out of reading and putting children off reading. So he started a charity, which was then called Readathon, which was based on the principle that if you sponsored children to read whatever they liked, to raise money for a cause that motivated them, they would start reading more and rediscover the joy in reading. Encouraging children to read isn't just about making them literate. There are also enormous amounts of research that prove that children who have a good reading habit 
are happier long term for the rest of their lives, which is a bold claim, but there's much evidence for that. And the reason being that by encountering more people and situations in books, they become more adept at dealing with social situations. They become more socially confident, more aware, more, more sort of streetwise and worldly wise, really. It helps them in every subject, obviously, at school as well. It helps them in their personal relationships. It helps them achieve more highly in their careers later on. A much, much broader aim than government statistics about achieving literacy levels. The original Readathon charity provided schools with a pre-printed kit whereby they could set up and run in their schools a sponsored reading scheme. Each child would be given a, a cute little card to get their sponsors on there and it would have sort of funky pictures and, and jolly things on there that would make it seem very unacademic and very child-friendly and very fun. And the charities, they, they were things like animal charities or children's health charities that they knew motivated children. That really took off and before long, schools all over the country, thousands of schools every year were running this readathon scheme and were delighted because it, it was a way of adding a new reading activity to their curriculum, to their daily routine without much of a burden on the teachers. That, long story short, that developed over a while and in time, the founding couple wanted to, they wanted to move away from it to retire long term and so it sort of changed its status. It was still a registered charity but it became run as a company. It was a charitable company with a, a more formal staff. So I came in at that point and I worked there for three and a half years dealing directly with schools and it was a real joy to talk to the teachers and to the children about and librarians, school librarians also important of course to find out what a difference it was making to them. Children who had never been bothered about reading before were suddenly embracing reading. Children who didn't have any books at home and were not encouraged to read, even were actually discouraged to read at home, which seems horrifying to, to, to people like us who love books. But that is a real issue as well, where they don't get the encouragement at home. This was giving them extra encouragement and making them feeling reading was a positive thing. Because the children were allowed to choose their own reading material, it was completely different from the prescriptions of a school scheme. So they could choose, they might choose to read like the complete works of Roald Dahl, if that was what excited them. Roald Dahl was the founding chairman, by the way. Or they could read all of the St. Clair's books or something like that, you know, Enid Blyton books. Or they might say, I'm going to read every back issue of a certain comic that I've got in my bedroom, or I'm going to read the back of all the packets of food in my mum's larder or something like that. It could be anything, anything that motivates them. Could read, could be reading an instruction book for their favourite computer game. And it was great for parents and grandparents and friends and relations because it's a really easy way of persuading the children to, to read that didn't involve battling with them over the, over the school reading scheme and homework. And I could really relate to it because my daughter was never taken with the school reading scheme. What got her onto reading was Garfield cartoon books and anything that had sort of a sense of humour. There's another wonderful series of books um, by Mo Willans, an American cartoon. Oh, yes. I yeah, you know, The Elephant and Piggy don't, and all those ones. Don't oh, the pigeon, the pigeon oh, drives the so, bus. That's it. They're so funny. And so she sort of worked her way through those really quickly and she'd sleep with them under a pillow. You know, finding the right books that, that makes a child just latch onto reading, really important part of, of the whole process. Readathon continued to work with various charities, funding various charitable causes. But a few years ago, they decided that actually it came to their attention that um, there was a real lack of good books for children to read in hospital. 
One of the reasons is that for reasons of infection control, you can only have brand new books in hospitals so that you don't get the germs transmitted. So we arrived at the scheme, a new scheme, whereby the children would be raising money for the new books to be bought, to be displayed on special mobile racks that would be taken around the hospital wards in children's hospitals all over the country. And children could choose a book. They could keep the books. There's no infection. And because they were brand new, they could even go into side wards where a child was in isolation following chemotherapy or transplant or something like that. And they also sent in storytellers for people to just sort of bring a bit of joy and fun. The emphasis changed, whereby the money was then being raised primarily to fund the hospital, um, and the name changed, the names changed as well. So whereas it used to be Readathon, it's now Read for Good, with the double meaning, it's Reading for Good, it's making children feel better in hospital. Also hugely supportive for their visitors, to the hospital staff, you know, it's, it's it's taking children out of themselves, making them feel better, gives parents and visitors something to do when they go in there. There's lots of things that are great about it. Now children are very motivated in schools to read for children in hospital. They'll probably all know children in, who have been in hospital or will have been in hospital themselves. So, so you don't even have to explain the concept really. You know, they can they just get it. How are other books chosen? Can authors donate books, or are they actually bought from certain places? For the hospital trolleys, they're they're chosen. Publishers and authors do donate them, but we do ask for them to discuss read for good before donating them because they're not always appropriate. We have a, a lady who specialises in, in stocking the hospital trolleys. She knows the kind of books that go down well there and people with the best in the world can offer to donate books which just aren't appropriate. Obviously, books about children who have terrible diseases that don't get better, we're not going to put those on there. <laughs> and are there many I'll, of those out there? Well, there are a few, you know, of, of, you know really grisly things, you know, some of, the, some of the sort of scarier stories I don't think we put in there. You know, they're comfort books. Well, it's more complex than that. The staff who organise that, they are very specific about the books they want to put on there and to get the right mix for the different age groups as well. Does Read for Good, I mean, obviously that's, you know, it's geared for children and it's for independent reading primarily. Um, are there parts of that which is about reading with children? Because parents and friends and relations are involved in sponsoring them, they are involved and the, and the children are encouraged by the parents through the scheme to, to read. I don't think there's a specific onus on the parents to read with the children, but it's another way of encouraging them because one of the ways to encourage children is to provide, provide means for them to read, you know, to give them the opportunity, give them the excuses to read. I find it quite horrifying sometimes to hear World Book Day tokens, which I'm sure you know about, where participating schools are each given a pound book token for every child in the school and small one pound books are made available in bookshops so that every child in theory can buy their own book and for some children they don't have books at home. I find it horrifying that there are some children who then don't bother using those book tokens they don't redeem them, they give them away to their friends they go, oh no, I'm not bothered about books. What the parents can do to encourage children to read is to sponsor them doesn't have to be a huge amount you know it's, it's the principle of sponsoring and encouraging them helping them pick their reading list parents or carers can take them into a bookshop or a library or just looking through their bedroom shelves and sort of help them plan their sponsored read and monitor it um, they don't have to monitor it but if they can get as involved as they like in in monitoring you know, help them plan when they're going to do their reading because it's always in a fixed time frame as well usually two or three weeks sometimes longer sometimes over a school holiday one of the things that we recommend for parents to do to encourage the children to read is to actually be caught reading themselves. If parents are always on their phone or playing computer games or sitting with their feet up watching telly and never seen with a book in their hand or a newspaper or a magazine, 
and children follow in their parents' footsteps. So you have to be seen reading, you know, get caught reading. Another thing that they can do is to facilitate a little reading nook, a little reading space for the child at home, their own bookshelf, to have perhaps a bean bag or, a, or depending on their age, you know, their own armchair and a special designated quiet area of the house where there isn't the radio on or the television on or music on. Not everybody has a house with enough rooms to be able to have somewhere that is completely away from all of the family activities. So if you can't provide a quiet space, then perhaps have a quiet hour. Yes, it's a culture thing, isn't it, in that being allowed time to read being allowed that you will be undisturbed if your nose in a book yes. means that yeah. you're you don't have to do the chores you don't have to do certain things you yes. are actually allowed to yeah. have that dedicated time i know there's always this battle at the moment about the mobile phones and the tablets mm. and so forth and people say well i'm reading on that but there's something a little bit different between a book being read and on screen reading the brain in a different way it does it? it does yeah but it's, it's a funny thing though because you'd think that children with their love of mobile phones and tablets and that sort of thing all, all things technical you think they would really prefer reading on ebooks but evidence is that they all still prefer to read proper books they like physical books and so providing physical books, whether it's in a bookshop or library or secondhand bookshop, jumble sale or wherever, you know, having books available in the house that they can choose from is a good thing. Reading at the same time that your children do, where you're both snuggled up on the sofa together, is, is a great thing because that's comfortable, companionable time. There's also a certain feeling amongst parents that, well, once a child can read for themselves, you don't need to read to them anymore. Well, actually, that's not true. I've heard of people still sharing books with their children before they go off to university, you know, and, and, and that's lovely. We, as a family, listen to audiobooks sometimes when we're traveling, and that's a lovely experience. Listening to an audiobook also counts as reading because you're still experiencing the language and the plot and the characters. It's just in a different form audiobooks almost to make children read in spite of themselves you know they don't realize that they're reading a book even if it's a hopefully an, an unabridged you know, audiobook of what's been written because it's got Stephen Fry or somebody reading it to them they don't realize they're reading my daughter she's a real Harry Potter fiend and she's got all of them Harry Potter books on audiobook and she's listened to them multiple times and they are enormously long it's still reading how does that differ from watching a film of the book the film of the book is obviously going to be, particularly with the Harry Potter books, going to be a very much shorter experience. You don't have the same number of words, the same complexity of language, the same subtleties and nuances. So I don't think Reed for, Reed for Good would ever say, oh, well, you can watch the book, watch the film of the book instead. Yeah, it doesn't really count. It will provide you the DVD. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not going to go not there. So. Watching films, I think, is also a very enriching cultural and social experience. And again, we shouldn't be too prescriptive in the films for our children because I love old movies I've sort of tried to encourage my daughter to watch them and she now will ask to watch them you know the Marx Brothers old black and white films Laurel and Hardy we've been watching sort of classics like The African Queen and I've been really pleased because it's, it's been very culturally enriching and that helps that does help you get more out of life you know as a whole when you can understand the references people are making to, to other things a lot of my friends didn't know who Laurel and Hardy were I discovered I think sometimes it's the quiz shows which actually start to influence people because of the history oh yeah. I better go and find out a bit more yeah. about that yeah, yeah. They, all, they all serve yeah. a purpose don't they yeah 
Yeah. I mean, it's just great knowing about this particular charity, how it works, because obviously they are the author's customers of the future. Doing a brilliant job for schools. It's ticking a box that schools now have to provide some reading activity outside of the national curriculum. So it's an easy way for a school to tick that box. They still get this ready-made kit. And also they are given a voucher to choose free books for their school of a certain percentage of the money that they've raised. So they are restocking the school library for every book the children read. You know, they're, they're getting more books back to the library. And when public libraries are being so decimated by cuts and equally school libraries, you know, is a, is a putting back into the whole sort of reading ecology, a whole new set of books that will then help fuel love reading outside of the Read for Good scheme as well. Question for you, which is slightly on the field, if you like. With the children's books and the, particularly the young children's books, you know, the early, early readers, somebody was saying that they really needed to be hardback rather than softback. Another view on, on that. They were sort of talking about the durability, I think, of the book. I wouldn't say that necessarily. I mean, maybe in copies going into a public library or into a school library, it might be helpful to have them in hardback. I think, and, and indeed with all books for adults as well, you know, there's a limited number of reads that a library book will have before it is no longer readable. And it's, it's quite low. It's something like eight or ten borrows, they reckon, before a book has to be replaced. I mean, goodness knows what people do to them. It seems, that seemed quite low when I first found out about it. Thinking of the of the school library at the, at the primary school in our village, you know, most of the books are paperback, and quite often libraries will put plastic on them to make them more hard-wearing. But I don't think people expect to buy hardbacks to children necessarily. I mean, it all puts the price up as well. I think there's a place for hardbacks, but I wouldn't say all books necessarily have to be in hardback for children. Obviously, board books are a different case because yes, they are right. entirely hard, but and that's for very good reason because little children, one, two-year-olds, will rip pages inadvertently just while they're refining their motor right. skills. And they but, invariably um, go into the mouth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember when my daughter was um, six months old and, and we went to Bookstar. You go along and you get your your little book bag of three books and she sat there and chewed away, literally chewed her way through the cover of one of them that is all part of exploring you know right, well i just wish you all the best as being an ambassador for read for good and i hope it continues along into the future that it's got a steady place in the majority of schools in this country the main objective is to sustain it and build upon it because although there are thousands of schools doing it all over the UK, there there are many more thousands who don't and they are all welcome to join. There, there will always be plenty enough resource, everybody, so the more the merrier. So if anyone is interested, they should contact Read for Good via their website, find out more about it and feel free to phone them up and have a chat with them about it. The staff are very kind, very helpful, very experienced, so they'll be happy to answer any questions answer any concerns so yeah just give it a go they, they don't have to commit doing more than one at a time so they can have try it once and if it doesn't work for them that's fine we think it's very unlikely that that people will not like it when they get it so most people get hooked and there are some schools who have been doing it for years and years and years decades you know who just wouldn't be without it and it's become a fundamental much loved part of their school year that's great along with things like book week being favorite characters yeah it really does bring books to life which is just what any author just just loves to hear yeah isn't it that it's being enjoyed made use of by their readers well, thank you very much, Debbie. And uh, all links will be following on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast about books. 
Each aspect of a book is such a passion for me. Remember, if you've got a book inside you, perhaps a dream to write a book, then I can help you make this a reality. I run an author mentoring program, which takes you through every stage from the initial idea, coaching you through the writing, editing and cover production and all the other elements until you are ripping open the parcel to see your published book for the first time. There's nothing quite like holding your own book in your hands. Limited applications are open throughout the year. Contact me on lady at ladyady.com. Don't forget the E in lady, L-A-D-E-Y, because I'm not a real one. Or go to the website ladyady.com. Let's see if we've got a match to make your dream, your book, come true. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.